Hey guys, welcome to the Motocross Action Podcast again. This time, I have a really cool interview with my friend, Eric Phipps, the owner and founder of Works Connection. Works Connection has been around and been a staple in the motocross industry for a long time now. I was in Northern California a couple weeks ago visiting and picking up some parts from Works Connection, actually. I stopped in on a Friday. Uh, Works Connection is open Monday through Thursday, so Eric came in on an off day for him and uh, gave me a little tour of the Works Connection facility and got to sit down and just kind of explain in this audio format podcast interview uh, about Works Connection, how it came about, how it came to be today, some of the struggles they've had, but also some of the successes they've had. So fun times with Eric. Listen to the audio format of this interview right here. All right, guys, I'm here with Eric Phipps, owner of Works Connection. And uh, I just got a tour of the Works Connection offices here in Northern California. We're, we're just uh, north of Sacramento, or well, I guess east of Sacramento, yeah, and uh, east of Hangtown. Um, Eric, can you just uh, kind of say how, when did Works Connection start and then how long have you been here in this area? Uh, I started in 1989 um, in Placerville, California. I actually uh, started just out of my mom's uh, garage, essentially. Nice. Yeah. Cool. And so now I've been, I mean, we've stayed, moved around a little bit. I was in Placerville area for a couple of years. I moved to uh, Roseville area for a couple of years in a house. Antelope, and then eventually I met my wife in 95, so we moved back to Placerville, and we leased our first official uh, industrial building in 96. Super cool, super cool. And uh, so Works Connection, I mean, you guys specialize in a lot of cool um, parts, some functional, some more uh, aesthetic and and bling parts, but uh, can you explain to me kind of, or explain to us, the the start of Works Connection and how you got into the industry and what was the the mindset behind it because it wasn't of creating a massive corporation a massive company or anything like that it was kind of uh, meeting a need right right exactly um, so getting started basically I didn't really have a plan to be honest I mean we talked a little bit before I I was working for my dad down in Southern California. I moved down there. I, I grew up up here, backing up a little bit. I've always been a dirt bike fanatic. Um, I realized pretty early on I wasn't going to make a living racing a dirt bike. Like a lot of us. Yeah, well, it happens. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's your dream, but, yeah. it, it, you know, you can see it. And so I, I moved down in 1988. I moved down uh, to live with my dad, and I figured, oh, Southern California, I'll get to ride all these cool tracks and, and work for him. And he worked out of his house, and he built street rod parts. Okay. So through seeing that, I was the gopher. I ran and, and picked up parts. Um, but through that process, you know, I go to the chrome shop. I'd go to the stamping place. I'd go to the, the you know machine shop, fab shop. So for a year, I learned this stuff, you know, all about uh, street rod parts. But I really wasn't into the street rod thing. And I got a little homesick. So I decided, uh, you know, that I, I needed to change, basically. I needed to move. But at the same time... I saw some parts, you know, like on the factory bikes back in the dates, like it was Jeff Ward's KX250. And I had the same bike, an 88. And so he had this cool skid plate on his bike. And, I, you know, nobody made anything at the time. They made big bulky ones you had to drill out and bolt on. So I'm like, that's pretty cool. And so my dad mentioned to me, he goes, what about, you know, a skid plate? Or, you know, I'm like, yeah, I really want a skid plate, but I can't find one. Mm -hmm. And that old saying, what is that? Out of 
need comes desire. Or, I, don't, I don't know. I, I messed that up. I'm not a wordsmith. That's all right. <laughs> but so basically, I couldn't find one. So I'm like, I made one. Yeah. And I, you know, I went through a couple variations, and I've got something I was happy with, and and I'm like, I like it. It looks cool, you know. And but I, I still, still at the time, I wanted to move back home, and so. I took the money that I had saved, you know, I lived with him in his house for a year, slept on his couch because every, the whole house was filled with, uh, parts and whatnot. Nice. And so I saved that money and I thought, you know, I'm, I was 22 at the time and I moved back to Placerville. I moved back in with my mom and I said, this is my plan. And she was supportive of it. And I figured if I could just sell a couple skid plates a day, essentially, we started with skid plates and front and rear caliper guards. I thought, I won't have to get a real job. Yeah. I mean, that was, is, I hate to say it, it sounds kind of dumb right now, but yeah. it's, uh, but that was my plan. I just, I didn't have any idea, you know, where it would go, what would happen with it. I just thought I'll try it. If it doesn't work, I have a bunch of Christmas presents for my buddies. Yeah. That's, that's about it. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. And, uh, so from there, you know, you're, you're growing and, uh, you got to work with Steve Lampson. So how far into the process, I mean, what was that? jump from uh just starting out you know as a young 22 22 23 24 year old to um to where you knew that okay this is a business that uh that i can make a living off of and something that we can keep moving forward with yeah so steve lampson was actually i mean he was a huge help um in getting started i knew steve before i started the business but i really got to know him after i started and so i got some parts on his bike you know put a skid plate on his bike and from there, he went to, uh, this was 1990, he was on a DGY Suzuki. Um, through his, you know, I met a lot of his friends and same guys, privateer guys that needed skid plates. They needed them for supercross and nobody had them. So I was given out a lot of, uh, you know, privateer guys, which I, I like the privateer guys. You know, I like the guys in the trenches struggling, right? So I gave out a lot of products to those guys and... And then in 91, Steve got an opportunity to ride for Peak and Pro Circuit. And so he introduced me to Mitch, and basically we ended up getting skid plates on the Peak bikes in 91, which was really cool for me. You know, It's like my original goal was to build parts that are like factory parts, but for the average Joe. That's what my business plan was at that point. That's about the extent of it. And so to be on a factory team was just really cool. That's cool. That's cool. And, uh, what was, what, what do you think is the, was there, was there a moment shift when, um, you were able to, you know, a product started selling hot off, off the shelves or, or you started getting a lot of phone calls. Like where, when was that shift that, uh, things really started rolling or was it just a kind of a gradual movement? It, it was more gradually. It was very slow to start with. Um, the first six months of business, I ended up running an ad in Cycle News. I was running ads in Motocross Action. Um, the phone was starting to ring, but not a whole lot. You know, word was getting out. I was giving out more product than I was selling, to be honest. Um, and at a certain point, I started realizing, why this is, I got to watch what I'm doing with the, the giveaway. I want to give it out to the guys. I want to help the privateers, but I kind of got to watch what I'm doing. Um, six months later, I'm into, I ran into summer at this point, summertime, and it slowed up in summertime. And so I ended up working at the machine shop that produced my parts during the week. So I'd, I'd get up, I'd check messages. If there was no messages, I'd go to work. I'd come home at lunch and check, you know, if there's an order or whatnot, I'd call back to the order and then I'd go back to work. So I worked like three or four months that summer 
building building the parts because it had slowed up. Um, it finally, at the end of summer, the new bikes started coming out, so I was doing patterns for new bikes, and then sales picked back up. Um, so, but as far as to answer your question, it's it's it wasn't a um, certain moment. It just it started, you know, it was just a gradual progression. Um, Steve, you know, again, Steve, he was the influence, and he was the guy that opened a lot of doors for me because in '92 he went to Suzuki. So then we went to the Suzuki factory team with parts. And then we started making frame guards. And so we started adding products. And through, it was actually Ray Tetherton, who was the Suzuki manager at the time, or a helper to the manager. I can't remember if it was Roger at that time or not. He introduced me to his wife, who was uh, worked for MSR and Tucker Rocky. And so that opened that door for that communication. And Tucker Rocky became our first distributor through that through those channels and that was probably i want to say probably late 93 or into 94 nice. so that you know once tucker rocky it kind of helped uh, we were private labeling uh, it was actually an msr part by works connection cool. so it was a little bit confusing but at the same time we were you know we were packaging we were doing a lot and i was having buddies come over at night and we'd turn on the radio and we would just package skid plates and you know they'd help me out and they helped me out a ton cool. so yeah that was kind of when i got the deal with tucker rocky and distributors because that opened up a whole level of getting out to a lot of dealers at that point yeah um that's when it started to kind of like make sense i was still working out of my house i had bought a house at that point in 93 um but still working out of the house and but then we were so busy at night and stuff. I started thinking, okay, this, I could see this, you know, something starting to yeah. work. You could just feel a change was, was going and it, it started getting some momentum. That's cool. That's cool. All right. And so you've, uh, while getting the tour around here, I've heard the, the term kind of confusing a few times. So it was with, uh, you know, works connection has produced pro circuit parts, right. With, uh, the, the pro launch device. And then you also, uh, distribute arc levers and pro pegs and hints and clutches and fast company parts as well. So, um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what you've done to make your business successful by partnering with the other guys and, and helping works connection grow, but also, um, you know, the different ways, I guess, you know, people listening to this are either wanting to, to, to get into industry and they have a dream to make a part or they, uh, you know, want to work for a company, but they might, you know, there's, when I get to know people in the industry, like you, Eric, uh, you figure out that everybody has their own story that, okay, I had to do this because I wanted to make it. I wanted to have a company in the industry. I wanted to, you know, meet a need, uh, make motorcycle riding better and more fun for people. And, and, uh, people have found different ways to do it. So how is like partnering with other people? How has that helped works connection and helped you get to this point today? Yeah, so that was, and people ask me that all the time because it gets a little bit confusing about like arc levers. Why are you selling arc levers? Isn't it a competitor? And so I, I approached Bob at Arc. This is back in, in 2008 when the recession hit. So we, our sales, we probably dropped when, you know, sales were cut in half at that time. Before that, we had really peak years, 2002, 3, 4, and 5, where we were going like gangbusters. You know, the new Hondas had come out. We were selling skid plates we had added engine guards to the line we were doing radiator braces i mean they were we were doing them in the by the hundreds you know and so when the bottom kind of fell out of the market our sales 
cut. You know, unfortunately, I had to um, cut a few employees, and it was, a, it was a difficult time. But I started thinking, well, if these guys are having a hard time, I was talking to, you know, I called Bob. I just cold called him, and I said, hey, what do you think about us selling Arc brand? You know, it would, maybe we could generate a few sales, and maybe it would help you sell more product. And I like the fact that Arc is USA made. I mean, same with Henson. I approached Henson. I approached Fast Company. Yeah. All the same thing. All U.S. companies, solid companies, good products. Because you know, it's still a, we're our name is attached to it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I went down to Southern California. I made visits to all of these places, and we we worked out you know deals to do that. And and it kind of gave helped us get over the hump. I'm hoping it maybe helped them yeah. get over the hump. Um, 2009, 2010, when we first started all that. And and it's grown into something where yeah we do well with all of their products, oh, uh, yeah. So that's that the the pro circuit thing is a little bit of a different story that came later. With in 2012 we designed a new start device, and I took it down and showed Mitch our new design, and he liked it, and we ended up working on a deal where we produce it was our part, but we uh, private label them with the pro circuit name. In pro circuit packaging, we just make it turnkey for him so he could sell them. Um, basically, he was a distributor, but it was a, a you know a pro circuit product the way it appeared, but it was all our design. Cool and uh, whole shot devices are you know obviously popular now in the industry, but also one thing that Works Connection is really known for the pro launch device. Uh, so for me, I was interested even when I found out that it uses a magnetic to, to pull it, the device back and uh, it uses a magnet for that. And can you talk a little bit about like the original whole shot d- device and uh, the story of how the pro launch came about and, and just the process of, of going from spring loaded to now using a tiny little magnet. Sure. Yeah. In uh, 2002, I actually got a call from Mike Gosler at Honda and he said, Hey, we're working on this thing that, you might be interested in. And at that point, Chad Reed, I mean, the, the whole, the start device goes back years and years ago. It goes clear back into the seventies with a guy named Arlo England, the inventor of it. And then it kind of faded out for a while. And Chad Reed, when he came from Europe to the States, brought it with him to Yamaha. And at that point it was just a, it was really crude, but it was a hook on the fork and a hole in the fork guard. And they would just spring it back and it would go hook through it was even, it was so secretive that they'd put a towel over it in the pits yeah. and they were high, you know, nobody thought anything about it. Nobody was even looking at it. Yeah. And I think the Honda guys caught on to it. They're like, Hey, they're doing something with the fork. You know, what are they doing? Well, be, because the Honda fork guard is closer to the fork than the Yamaha, they couldn't do that hook style. So they had to come up with something else. Yeah. So they came up with a pin style spring and pin that would retract and then hook to the ring and mike was telling me this is this is what we're doing you know and mitch knows about it and you might it might be something you want to look into yeah so we jumped all over it i mean we put all the manpower we could on it and we did testing and we had a at our old shop we had a field right by the shop so we'd go out and put it on a bike and we'd literally try it and see what failed and we failed a bunch, you know, we broke rings, we broke pins. We, so we finally figured out it's this, you know, a stainless pin and we found the right size. And, um, and basically this was probably February, March. We started working on it. And by June three, I think it was probably four to five, four to five months. We had a, a 
working units and we started selling them to the public. Well, what was that process like, uh, when it first came out, did, cause I was, you know, I was pretty young at that time. Uh, probably not even using a whole shot device yet. Getting ready to start maybe, but, uh, what, how did the industry take it? And as far as the public, cause obviously the racers at Supercross needed it and wanted it, but, um, how were sales for you right off the get go? And what was that excitement like during those few months? Were you anticipating a lot of sales as soon as it came out? We were, and it was actually, you know, it did really well from the beginning. Um, it was the new greatest thing, right? Because if you've done starts without it and then you put one on and you do a dirt start that you have good traction, it's amazing. The difference is amazing. And that was only when, you know, when we first started, we were maybe pulling them down 80 millimeters, maybe 90, nothing like they are today, of course. Uh, But no, the initial response was good. We, they were, I mean, we were moving a lot of them. We said it, we started slow. We start, you know, we developed them for just the main popular bikes. And then we finally moved into minis and it took a while. Of course it's in a lot of uh, R and D time and whatnot, but Initially, I won't say they were went like gangbusters, but they they were a solid mover for sure. And then, uh, what was the the reasoning? Because I, I learned it before, but it went from spring loaded to to magnet. And uh, can you explain like the backstory behind that and and just the evolution of it for you guys? Mm-hmm. So from 2002 until I believe it was oh probably 2000. Well, we sold those through 2010 um basically somebody acquired a an actual patent for the spring stunt loaded whole shot device and so we were given the ultimatum they you know just wanted us to stop selling it because they were you know like i said they were awarded the patent so um there's nothing we could really do at that point to fight it i was on the phone i called mitch and we talked about it and said well i think you know we need to do something different so we started on the, we went, you know, our guys and myself, we just started getting busy looking at different designs and we came up with what can we do that would be better because we were still having an occasional failure, failure with the spring and pin. So we've, you know, it, it was, we went through probably a dozen or more prototypes, but we got onto this magnet situation, which cleaned up a lot of the stuff with a spring, without a spring and, um, and then we figured out, well, if we do a pivot, when that trigger, we call it the trigger, when you lift the trigger, it comes up, it'll deflect off of the fork ring, yeah. and, and then it'll, you know, it's easier to latch. Yeah. So the initial ones weren't that great. Of course, they were clunky, but as we started into it, we're like, wow, this this thing really sets easy. Nice. Um, and so we we're like, I think we're, you know, we've got something good. And so then we really took it to the drawing board and thinned it out and made it you know, what it is today. Um, and, and we're constantly evolving it. We're, we're messing with coatings on the fork rings where if we have any issues, we're always, uh, you know, making adjustments, but it's, we're right now it's under 50 grams. It's the lightest on the market. It's most reliable in my opinion on the market, you know, used by Honda star racing smart top. I mean, the list goes on and on a ton of privateers. And it's like these guys, these race team guys, are all about weight yeah. and of course they can't it can't fail yeah. i mean if they fail we fail yeah. um so it's you know they're confident in the design it's you know again it's the lightest on the market and 
even though it's getting, you know, we've had this design for probably nine or 10 years now, it's evolved even from 2012 to now. Every every batch is a little bit different and a little bit more evolved. So. That's exciting stuff. All right. Well, then that, you know, leads into my next question. What's it like dealing with factor teams? Um, other people, you know, listening to this podcast, people that are, you know, like to watch our videos and read the magazine articles or, you know, all of us are racers and riders ourselves and we all dream of being a factory rider and what that would be like but then everybody's you know next dream is well at least working with the factory teams and then the next dream is what what what's it like at the factory team and and so for you you get the chance to work directly with them and they're calling i mean they they order parts from you so uh so what's that process like what what's it like when you see your product being used by ken roxon and and teams like you know star racing choosing to use your products uh to be honest it's cool and i have to pinch myself every once in a while because it you know to get when i got started i have no idea it wasn't my goal to have parts on a factory bike i wanted to make parts for the average guy that looked like that were factory parts right so it's again it, and it took a while to get in with these teams but all of a sudden i'm just like on the phone with Roger DeCoster, you know, back in the early 90s. And I'm on the phone with Eric Kehoe when he was at like Honda Troy. And, and it's, it was, they're just surreal moments, really. Um, but through that working with the race teams, I mean, they, to be honest, they helped a ton, especially in the early years with us developing products. Because if somebody's going to break something, they're going to do it. Yeah. And so they, they said, this needs to, you know, this failed, this or this failed, and this needs to be lighter. And so we're like, okay, we'll go back to the drawing board. So it evolved into where they really helped make our products what I feel is the best. Yeah. And then it really made us raise our level another notch because it's like these teams are relying on our parts. Yeah. They can't fail. You know, we, everything has to be perfect yeah. with these guys. Yeah. And they have we have to have enough stock we have to give it to them on time everything you know so um because for them it's a, a business and, you know it's our business too but it's like we run out of these things and don't have them for them that's yeah. a disaster yeah. so it added stress yeah. um but with that came quality improvement and a bunch of positives that's cool that's cool and the other thing is you're in northern california so i'm from northern california I grew up here and uh love it here love racing and riding here but I moved down to Southern California because that's where I needed to be if I wanted to be pro. And, and now I've made a life down there, but, uh, it's awesome for me to be back home here in Northern California. What's it like for works connection? Um, when you have a lot of the teams in Southern California and now some of them, and you know, a lot of riders training in Florida, but there's not a lot of pro definitely not any pro teams that are based up here. Um, so are you traveling down there a lot or do you ever see like a, a disconnect that can be difficult for you or uh has there ever been like a, a desire to, to move down there or, or what's that process been like i think in all honesty it it hurt us initially not being in southern california um and i still think there's many opportunities we're missing out on by being in northern california versus down there but for me it's home i've lived i've born and raised here and it's a sacrifice i'm willing to make to you know Maybe it's not as convenient as it could be. Like I could just drive over the track, drop off parts, the teams, see them in person, go to the test tracks. Uh, we still do a fair amount of that, you know, visits here and there. Yeah. But to be honest, we, we just put our heads down. We do what we do. Yeah. Shipping, they can have it overnight if that's what it takes. Yeah. 
All right, guys. So that's it for the interview with Eric Phipps. I actually got cut off a little bit at the end there as my memory card ran out of uh, storage, but that was my fault. I'm a rookie media photographer, videographer, podcast guy, but good times talking with Eric. He finished up basically the end of that interview saying that uh, there are some pros and cons to being away from Southern California if you want to be, you know, a company within the motocross industry, but that the the pros outweigh the cons and he likes living in Northern California where he grew up at in a place where uh, he feels comfortable and enjoys. So good times with Eric Phipps. Thank you guys for tuning in to this interview. If you like this podcast form of uh, motocross action interviews, be sure to let us know. Uh, you can leave a comment on our Facebook or you can even send an email to me, Josh Mosman, MXA at gmail.com and give me your feedback and we'll be uh, producing more of these. Thank you guys for tuning in and we'll see you in the next one.